Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
In the AM. There you go. Nadvorna with uh, Huyosh Yenu. You heard me now. Mezar done by Menachem Moskowitz. Herschel Rosenberg's Mia Ish, Mia Aleph, and Tzvi Silberstein. Dudi Kalish had Sama. Shifchi was done by Shirei Zimra. Avrami Flam and Habait. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this seventh day of July, day number 18. In the month of Tammuz, the year is 5783, Tafshin Pei Gimel. I hope your fast was fast, although, although the reports I'm getting from different people doesn't seem like there were too many fast fasts yesterday, frankly. It was a long one. I always, uh, I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned on the air in the past, Hashivasar Batamas for some reason is always the most difficult fast for me. And I heard that from a bunch of people yesterday. I don't know if it's because we haven't fasted in a while. And when we have fasted recently, they were relatively short fasts, Asar Bateves and Tanis Esther. And now we're starting this stretch where we have two fast days within three weeks, and then we have uh, two fast days within a week coming up soon when, um, when the new year starts. So I don't know. I have no idea what it is. But uh, Shivasar Batam is always fine to be a, uh, among the more difficult days and, uh, well, nonetheless, I still hope it was fast for you, a fast, fast, and an easy fast. And welcome to a Friday morning broadcast of JM in the AM. So, it is Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas, and you know what that means. It means we are finally in line with our brothers and sisters in Israel. The Diaspora and Israel are both reading Pinchas this week. How novel an idea. <laughs> How great... Uh, how great it is to be in sync. And um, let's hope that Israel and Diaspora is in sync for quite a while on many different issues. This was a uh, very challenging week, to say the least, for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Uh, Certainly in light of the latest news and the latest terror attack. And I would like to think that um, all Jews around the world, in Israel and the diaspora, would feel um, very connected to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land and would defend their, their actions, especially when those actions are uh, intended to secure our brothers and sisters who live in the state of Israel. 
We'll talk more about this, I'm sure, with Malcolm Honline one hour from now. The weekly update is uh, happening starting at 7.40 a.m. Eastern time right here at the JM and the AM. We'll have an opportunity to discuss the news of the week and some of these greater issues. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. Candle lighting in New York is 8.09. Candle lighting in New York is 8.09. Many synagogues begin earlier and certainly... Different parts of the world and different cities start at a different time, so make sure you know when things start where you are. All right, but if you're in the New York area, officially 809, and again, make sure you know when things start in your specific uh, synagogue and community. Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin will speak about Parshas Pinchas. We've got uh, our three weeks format rolling here at JM in the AM, which essentially means the uh, a cappella acapella format the um, format will go until Rosh Chodesh Av when we drift into our spoken word presentations and um, and uh, we'll continue we'll continue to move on uh, feel free to comment on the app go to the NSN Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away you are certainly welcome to do so more coming up you're listening to JM in the AM <laughs> Ich bin der 
Oh, so you go to the song, and that's your name, my son. 
J.M. and the A.M. from Shabbos Dick Oitzras. That's what it's called. Uh, Yismachu here at J.M. and the A.M. Uh, let's see what we have here. Hmm. Uh, before that, the um, Ellie Gerstner album, Gam Ki Elach, the name of the selection from his uh, acapella selections. Here at JM in the AM. Sorry about that. Sometimes you just have to sneeze. The Friedman family had Mayadidos, Nardvorno with Huyoshienu. Menachem Moskowitz had Minha Meitzar, and you're listening to America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galei Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Don't forget Malcolm Honline weekly update happening at 7.40 a.m. Eastern time right here at JMNAM. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN. NachumSingle Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. It's Arab Shabbos, Parshas, Pinchas, New York City, 809. Make sure you know when things start where you are. New York candlelighting at 809. Kalei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Kalei Tzal, Asha Shtayim, Baulpan Eran Kuruzim, Mashekore Akshav. המדינה הודתה בתשובה לבגעת, שר הביטחון גלנט הנחה את הרמטכ"ל הלוי לאפשר בנייה בלתי חוקית על אדמות מדינה במאחז חומש, עם הפרטים כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. לראשונה מאז האירוע שהיה בסוף חודש מאי, המדינה הודתה כי גלנט נתן הנחיה לרמטכ"ל לאפשר לאנשי הישיבה בחומש לבצע פעולה בלתי חוקית ולבנות מבנים על אדמות מדינה ללא היתר. ההסבר שנתנה המדינה לבגעת הוא שכעת המצב בשטח טוב יותר מאחר שהישיבה פונתה מקרקע פרטיות של פלסטינים. עוד מסרה המדינה לבגץ כי יש בכוונתה להסדיר שהות קבועה של ישראלים בחומש ולכן היא לא מתכוונת לפנות את המבנים שהוקמו ללא היתר. ובתוך כך מאות פעילי שמאל קיימו היום צעדה בין הכפר הפלסטיני בורקה למאחז חומש בקריאה לפנות את המאחז. כתבנו שחר גליק מוסר שכוחות הביטחון הוציאו צו שטח צבאי סגור האוסר על אזרחים להיכנס לאזור. בהר הרצל בירושלים נתמן הבוקר סמל ראשון שילה יוסף אמיר, זיכרונו לברכה. לוחם גבעתי שנפל אתמול בפיגוע הירי סמוך לקדומים שבשומרון. שילה, לוחם סיירת גבעתי בן 22 בנופלו בן קיבוץ מירב בגלבוע, הותיר אחריו הורים בארבעה אחים. דובר ממשלת עיראק הודיע כי הממשלה פתחה בחקירת חטיפתה של הישראלית אליזבת סורקוב בבגדד בחודש מרס. כתב חדשות החוץ ברק בטש מזכיר כי ביום רביעי הותר לפרסום כי סורקוב מוחזקת בעיראק זה מספר חודשים אחרי שנחטפה על ידי המיליציה השיעית כתב חיזבאללה בעיראק. 
שמונה תושבי מזרח ירושלים נעצרו בחשד שהשפילו אדם חרדי ככל הנראה תשוש נפש ופרסמו את הסרטון ברשת החברתית טיק טוק. השמונה נעצרו בבית החולים הדסה עין כרם בבירה, שם שהה הקורבן על מנת לקבל טיפול רפואי. החשודים הגיעו למקום על מנת לבקר את חברם המאושפז שנפצע בהפרות סדר במזרח העיר. ידירה, ידיעה שמסרה כתבתנו יערה אברהם. הפיחות בשער השקל, שערו היציג של הדולר, נקבע על שלושה שקלים שבעים ואחת אגורות ושבע עשיריות האגורה, עלייה של חמש עשיריות האחוז. שערו היציג של האירו נקבע על ארבעה שקלים ארבעה אגורות ושלוש עשיריות האגורה, עלייה של שלוש עשיריות האחוז. כתבנו לענייני כלכלה ישראל פישר מוסר שביום שני תתקבל החלטת הריבית על ידי בנק ישראל, ושערי המטבעות הגבוהים עשויים להוביל להעלאת ריבית נוספת. מזג האוויר מונן חלקית עד בהיר ללא שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות. Shalom 
שוב פני דוחים מארץ מצרים וישתחוו לשם ויער הקוידש פר הקוידש בילוש אלוהים ובואי מארץ השור פני דוחים מארץ מצרים וישתחוו לשם ויער הקוידש פר הקוידש בילוש אלוהים בילוש Koidesh Pirush Elohim Oy, oy, uvoh Oy, ivdim b'yeretz ha-shor Panidokhim b'yeretz mitzroim V'yishtachavu l'ashem Be'ar ha-koidesh Be'ar ha-koidesh Pirush Elohim Oy, uvoh Oy, ivdim b'yeretz ha-shor Panidokhim b'yeretz mitzroim Oh, 
In the AM, that is the Shire Zimra group with Kane Hashem. Before that, Karachim done by Simcha Liner, Ari Goldwag, and Yerushalayim here at JM in the AM. 
Ooh, we're a drop behind schedule for Harry Rothenberg. My apologies. We try to do it. Uh, we try to present Harry's Dvar Torah a little earlier in the seven o'clock hour normally. Um, Harry Rothenberg's uh, discussion regarding uh, Parshas Pinchas is um, dedicated for Rafur Shlema for Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Again, Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava, and your help, of course, with that is greatly appreciated. Ruchama Chana Etel. Bas Chava. Harry Rothenberg, Parshas Pinchas at JM in the AM. Imagine you're watching a movie and it ends with a very dramatic scene. One of the main characters risks his life to save many, many people and he has to kill a man and a woman and he does so. And then the movie ends and the credits roll and you find out for the first time that the man who was killed was the Prince of England. And the woman who was killed was the Princess of Monaco. And the guy who killed him got this huge reward. He became a Duke. Wouldn't you have wanted to know these details while you were watching the movie? A prince and a princess? I didn't know who they were. And yet that's what's going on. Last week's Parsha ended with this dramatic scene. Pinchas killed a man and a woman and the plague that had been killing thousands of Jews stopped. And it's only this week, at the beginning of this week's Parsha, that we find out that the man who he killed was the prince of the tribe of Shimon. And the woman whom he killed was the princess of Moab. And he got a huge reward. He became a Kohen. Why didn't we get these details last week during the story? And the answer, perhaps, is this. Pinchas knew who he was taking on. He knew he was going into the tent of the prince of the tribe of Shimon, who was concerning with the princess of Moab. But that's not why he went in. He didn't go in because he knew that if he's successful, his name and picture are going to be on the front page of every newspaper and magazine that week. Pinchas risks life, kills prince and princess, plague stops. He went in for one reason, because God said so. He was not hunting fame or fortune or reward. And that's a lesson for us. We should not be big game hunting or trophy hunting when it comes to mitzvahs. Looking for the ones that are a big deal, looking for ones that people are going to notice, people are going to applaud, people are going to compliment If us. anything, the fact that people are watching may make it less important because maybe that's your motivation. You're not doing it because God said so. You're doing it because you want the fame and fortune and the reward. I'll give you an example. I've been working on this lately. Taking the time to say blessings, brachos, with the right kavana, with the right intent. It just takes a couple extra seconds to make sure you're making the right blessing before eating or drinking something and saying each word and having in mind, God, thank you so much for giving me what I'm about to put into my mouth. Nobody even has to listen to it. Many times there's nobody around. You're not going to get any applause or compliments. It's so not a big deal. And yet, it so is a giant deal every single time. Do the math. How many times do you eat or drink something every day? A lifetime of opportunities to say, thank you so much, God. You're not going to get any trophies, at least not down here, but they'll be waiting for you up in heaven. But that's still not why you're doing it. You're doing it for one reason, because God said so.
In a room that feels empty, sitting all alone, where just two candles glow. The silent hopes and whispered prayers echoing painfully. The dream in their hearts yet to grow. Imagine this so many times their dream is a cane, a family of their own. Offered every tear they have, done all there is to do, but they know they're not in this alone. I know that it's hard to keep waiting. Just a bit longer. Our cries, our words, feelings. He won't turn away. In a world that feels empty, we languish in gallows. With only our faith aglow, our silent hopes and whispered prayers echoing painfully, the dream in our hearts yet to grow. Imagined it so many times, Arachamon, who is a king for that day, a home of our own. Offered every tear we have, done all there is to do, but we know we're not in this alone. I know that it's hard to keep waiting, so I'll be here with you, holding your hand, and together our cries will be strong. I'm 
J.M. in the A.M., a piece by Benny Friedman and Baruch Levine here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos that's called uh, Hold On Tight. Before that, from the Bub of Acapella album, you heard uh, Ka'ayal here at J.M. in the A.M. Weekly update with Malcolm Holmline on the way. We'll uh, connect in about uh, five, ten minutes from now and get into the events of this week. Um, yeah, there is... There is a lot to uh, discuss regarding this week, that's for sure. And we'll get to as much of it as possible here this morning at JM in the AM. I hope your fast was fast and easy. <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, mine was neither. <laughs> uh, but Shivasa has a habit of doing that. Um, nonetheless, I hope it went well. And uh, here we are on this 7th of July, day number 18 in the month of Tammuz, Zerv Shabbos Parshas Pinchas, both in Israel and the Diaspora, candle lighting in New York, 809. 809 is candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And um, a lot of synagogues and communities begin earlier than regular candle lighting time. So again, make sure you know when things start where you are. If you're in New York, you could rely on 809 for candle lighting time. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
Shabbat Kel Yishmerei Oti Leomeyad Beino Veini Oti Leomeyad Beino Veini Oti Leomeyad Beino Veini Asur Metzochefet Asoterachim Gam Miladaberbo Divrei Terachim Divrei Zechora Oti <laughs> 
Our friends from Bitachon with Ki Eshmera here at JM in the AM. A.K.A. Pella had Yasimcha before that. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on the 7th of July, 18th day in the month of uh, Tammuz. Hope your fast went well yesterday. Uh, 8.09 is candle lighting in New York. Candle lighting in New York, 8.09. Make sure you know when things start where you are in this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Pinchas, as we are now aligned again, Israel and the diaspora in terms of the Parshios. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> I was not able to handle it the other way. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Don't forget, if you're looking for uh, thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to print out before Shabbos regarding um, uh, all the latest that's going on and commentary, etc., go to JewishWorldReview.com. Literally, you could find uh, plenty of uh, great things to print out and to uh, study over your Shabbos and weekend. And our thanks to JewishWorldReview.com. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays at this time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Very, very important week um, for Israel, to say the least. And I, and I say it with that sigh uh, because of the, uh, the losses that the Jewish people incurred this week, and we can't neglect to discuss that, which we will. But first, the Operation Bayit Vigan, Home and Garden, is it considered a success? Overall, yes. I think it shattered the image of Janine as a safe haven for terrorists, and they know now they're on very uh, shaky ground. This is not going to be, unfortunately, the last operation that will be necessary there, but it was successful in that they blew up many manufacturing sites. Uh, They met very little resistance considering the number of terrorists in Janine. 12 terrorists were were, uh, killed even though none of the media says they're terrorists, all of them say 12 people in Janine as if they were, you know, innocents. And I'm sure there were some people who were bystanders who got shot during the exchanges, uh, wounded. But the Israelis were, uh, army was very careful. They had targeted uh, places. And it seems that the uh, terrorists lost their will to fight or were intimidated. Now the anger in Janine is directed at the PA because their security forces did not respond to the Israelis coming in and they felt that the much more should have been done but they're not going to put their lives on the line uh, as we have seen in the past as well. So while the media coverage has been so distorted, I mean not in an unprecedented way but in a vicious way, BBC amongst the worst and even though they're broadcast here on NPR and others, uh, anybody who listens to it and doesn't protest them, uh, it would be uh, really uh, unfortunate. 
because they said to Bennett in an interview with Bennett uh, that Israelis are happy to kill children. They issued an apology, the leadership issued an apology, but the broadcaster, as far as I know, has not. And once that kind of a lie gets out and gets repeated, and every time the story of the retraction gets repeated, um, the, the image is left that Israel came in, destroyed the place. They tore up roads, not because they were destroying the roads, but because they, they had to prevent against IEDs and these explosive devices, the roadside mines, etc., that were planted in many places. And they had learned this technology from uh, some of their counterparts, and Hamas obviously teaching them the stuff that they've done in Gaza. So the, you know, the messages that came out were far uh, apart from the reality that uh, unfortunately exists there. But as we know, you know, this is a heavily populated place. Uh, they did not um, destroy the infrastructure of terror, but that the, uh, the blow to their ability is very is very strong, and and the fact that you didn't have uh, civilian casualties is one of the successes, as uh, the defense minister pointed out. It seemed like um, to those of us who follow the news, it seemed like this operation came out of nowhere. Um, is the, is the, is the impression that way? Because normally operations like this are in response to rocket fire, are in response to a barrage of activity by the enemy. Um, and in this case, it just seemed like there was no, uh, it, 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 it usually seems like Israel announces they are going into somewhere to eradicate terror cells in response to what the enemy has done. It looked like this was not the case this time around. They, uh, no, this was well-planned for a long time. It was a response to the fact that they, that uh, they believed that they attempted to launch a missile, a rocket from Janine. Uh, they also knew about the manufacturing places, and you know they confiscated uh, large amounts of uh, guns, bullets, uh, weapons, IEDs, money, Israeli uh, passport. You know where they were. They had obviously stolen and Israeli license plates uh, and the weapons that they found. Um, you can see online it's a tremendous array and manufacturing sites for them. So they knew these things existed and had to wait for the right time, the right process to, to go in. And remember, this is a war against Iran, basically. This is Iranian operations. This is Iranian-funded. It's Hamas it's the, and others who are present there. And Israel couldn't allow any more just the random killings and their hope, the hope is that this would dissuade others from engaging it. So far, obviously, as we've seen post-Janine, that uh, unfortunately every day uh, somebody is being killed. But these generally uh, are described as uh, operatives who have connections to. One was the son of a Hamas leader and others were, were with other connections. But I think that they will be more careful in the way that they carry out these attacks. And, you know, the White House... Uh, defended Israel's right to, to defend itself and condemn the terrorism, but at the same time said that you know, they have to express uh, restraint and you have to make sure to protect civilians, and et cetera, et cetera, which I think Israel did with the remarkable results. What happens now to these over 100 terrorists? Do they all get arrested and jailed? Are they released soon after? Like, what happens to this 
this distinct group of, uh, of terrorists and those affiliated with terror activities that they captured? Well, they didn't capture 100. The 100 who were wounded, they captured some who will be brought back for interrogation. Oh, I thought I some heard that the, there were like 120 arrests. No, there were a lot of arrests with the people they interrogate, and there were, and they will be subject to, you know, uh, being to being imprisoned if a case against them can be shown that they were directly involved, which is the case because Israel knew each one. They they obviously have been using technology in a very constructive and uh, very true. effective way. Yeah. Uh, including drones and ways that they followed people and having pictures. So they will be interrogated. They will be brought to, uh, to some sort of a military court to be assessed. Did you notice in the uh, first 24 hours of the operation, media sources out of Israel were predicting that this could go on for weeks or months, and then 48 hours later it was essentially over? I was wondering if that was a... Um, uh, a media push against the current administration in Israel, trying to scare people into thinking that they're getting Israelis into a months-long quagmire, uh, when in reality it was never the case. I think that was uh, that's true, and it's reflective of the kind of coverage the media gives anything associated with the government, and uh, even not the government, as in this case. Uh, the fact that Israeli soldiers... Uh, came out there was one fatality but that the, the expectations was that there were potential for many more i have friends whose children were leaders in this operation and they were dreading the, the results but said how well prepared they were i actually stumbled onto it when i i would i had a meeting with the prime minister uh, last week and they kept coming in to him and he said give me 10 more minutes 10 more minutes and then when i walked out I walked right into the head of the Shin Bet, the head of the Mossad, Herzi Levy, the chief of uh, the army, uh, head of IDF, uh, Galan, the defense minister. They were all standing in the lobby, so I had a chance to wholesale meet with everybody I wanted, I was going to see. And they had, they all went then into the room for the discussion on Janine, where the final orders were given to, um, to take the action. So it was well-coordinated. There were all the top brass in, in one room at one time uh, with the prime minister where they laid it out. And I think it, it clearly was not a hazard move. And the fact that they could accomplish what they wanted so soon. And again, it's not everything. It's not a destruction of the terrorist infrastructure, but it certainly sets them back. And they were able to target. And if you see the destruction, they say, uh, you know, homes were destroyed. Take a look. When you see that when they hit a place and all of a sudden there are secondary explosions, you know that these are factories for explosives. And and thousands of people left Janine because they were given warning. Nobody was stopped leaving. There was no you know, targeting of, of uh, people escaping. And amongst them certainly were, were terrorists. Uh, you mentioned at the top of this conversation that this is not the last time they're going to have to go in. I, I mean, it is a legitimate analysis, I would say, or, or certainly a, um, uh, a legitimate comment when people say, why go back? Why not just, quote unquote, finish the job now? And I know this is always a big issue, especially among Israeli government officials and the Israeli press. 
but it, there was great success. Could they have accomplished more if they would have stayed longer? Certainly they would accomplish more, but you put the soldiers more and more at risk as the longer you stay there. Second of all, you know, Israel is not immune to the world reaction and knowing that cutting it where they did, where they felt that they had, um, you know, destroyed 14 of the command posts and the hideouts that were used by, by uh, terrorists to coordinate activities. These were like war rooms, six uh, bomb-making facilities, and they found over 300 bombs and chemicals and all the sort of stuff needed to make these bonds, bombs and six underground shafts. And uh, I forgot all the other things that were destroyed. So I think that they felt that this is uh, very significant. And again, it doesn't clean it out. But, you know, operating in Janine is, is so complicated. People should look at the picture, how densely populated it is. They also keep on referring to a refugee camp. Maybe 1% are refugees anymore. These are all the descendants and descendants of descendants, and as well as, rep as people who live there. Uh, but they, it sort of makes it all more egregious if they attack a refugee camp. And um, so uh, staying longer might have come at too, too high a cost. You know, it's funny because, I mean, outside of maybe, you know, the last week of the year, this is a pretty good week to go about something if you want the world not to pay attention, or at least you want the United States not to pay attention. I can't imagine that the Israelis make these decisions based on the American calendar. But th this is one of those weeks where, you know, the, the regular columnists are off, and a lot of people in Washington aren't paying much attention, frankly, it being such a big vacation week. I Again, I, I'm not suspecting that, they're, that they went ahead and planned it that way, but all I'm saying is that it is somewhat to the advantage uh, of, of those who want to keep Israel out of the news. Also, is the UN in session now? Like, how did they, did they react to this even? Yes, the Secretary General issued horrific statements. Really, and this, and today there's going to be a session of the UN on it, on the Janine events. Um, you know, and, but the Secretary General really went out of, uh, far beyond the normal discourse and the, the language he used about Israelis uh, failing to protect civilians, etc., and you know he, he goes the way of all his predecessors who start off as friends, as, as neutral, as uh, open, and become more and more critical and more as the UN uh, body sucks them in and the mechanisms of the UN swallow them and direct them into these uh, horrific ways. But it's interesting to note that the Abraham Accord countries, despite the fewer in many of the countries. Uh, over many Arab states, uh, as evidenced by, for instance, um, Saudi Arabia's very strong statements condemning it, but they are sticking with Israel and and, and standing by uh, uh, the agreements that they signed, and the economic interests are going to trump any outrage that they feel. And and as you know, that many of them, in conversations with us, the leaders in Arab countries are no longer. Uh, placing this issue, the Palestinian issue, at the top of their list. In fact, many of them say it's the bottom of their list because it's a kleptocracy. You see that the government has done nothing. It's no relevance to anything. Uh, Abbas is despised by 80% of the, of the people. And in fact, during this very week, there was an agreement between one of the Emirates, Ras al-Khaimah, an economic zone uh, deal that was... Um, which expands in mutual investment and manufacturing uh, and other things uh, was signed this week. 
for this past week after the Janine events. So I think it, 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 it is of concern to them because it puts them on the defensive more and some of them will have to make performance statements, but uh, it's it, it's not undermining it. And I think in most of our worlds, you don't get the kind of outrage that uh, some would pre pre predict because there's less and less to think for, for the fact that they poured the tens of billions of dollars, that they're involved in terrorism, and they all know that Iran is behind it and read the statements by Iranian leaders and you see that, uh, you know, how close the connection and how they're bolstering, they, as they called it, regional resistance uh, with support for Janine. And they, they uh, always, by the way, portray the judicial reform demonstrations as evidence of Israel's vulnerability and weakness and imminent downfall. And uh, the, the, uh, the daily uh, state-run and social media outlet, media and social media outlets constantly harangued this uh, this message and even the UN mission from Iran talked about um, that talked about the diplomacy not working the Palestinians they're right but that uh, only casualties can force Israel to to uh, change its policy so they support any request for assistance from the Palestinian resistance which as you know they operate Hamas the Hezbollah um, pigeon, particularly, they're all funded by by Iran, and the thought that we are going to give them or allow them access to billions and tens of billions of dollars is uh, all the more egregious. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners sponsored digital radio, around the world web at AlchemSiegel.com on the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. So when they say that Hamas, I'm assuming for a moment that I'm getting this right, you'll tell me if, the, if I'm mislabeling the players. If Hamas is weakened because of what Israel just did in Janine, then it strengthens other um, uh, terrorist groups that are operating within and near Israel. I guess Islamic Jihad would be a good example of that. Uh, but based on what you're saying regarding Iranian support, it's really not true. It's just it's, it's one big operation that happens to have different names in different regions, right? Uh, well, it's, it's complicated, but you're, you're making actually a very important point about what happens with the balance. The actual truth is that Hamas... Uh, and, and Pidge, but much more Hamas, has been working to establish itself in Yudin Shomron, in the West Bank, in those areas uh, under PA control, to challenge the government, which is, as I said, and we've talked about it for a long time, is so weak, right. uh, ineffective, uh, corrupt, which is probably should be the first thing because everybody knows it uh, in, inside, and they have no faith in, in the government whatsoever. And Hamas is trying to take advantage of it to expand its role. As you know, they, they opened in Lebanon in, again, with Hezbollah's objection first, but with Iranian backing and created a presence because they're willing to do some things that I guess Hezbollah is not, uh, but also to gain a foothold so that if there are elections and the recent elections in universities in the uh, territories uh, occupied, uh, uh, ruled by Palestinian Authority, uh, which has yet to prove its legitimacy, uh, they, they, the Hamas slates have won. 
And this is not insignificant. I know people wouldn't think about what happens on a university campus, which party wins, although we should monitor it because it's reflective of the extremism on our own campuses uh, gaining dominance. But there, it's usually a precursor. And to see that, and it's taken very seriously. And when you see that the Hamas's uh, slates and other extreme slates were winning more and more support, it tells you about what the, the mood is and what the direction uh, in, inside is. So the Palestinian Islamic Jihad is working, but Hamas has, it seems, much more of an infrastructure and a base to become a, a political party, political force there. Uh, and when the PA suspends uh, security cooperation with Israel, which they made a big deal and announced that at some point during the operation, does that, does that get reinstated immediately? Like whatever cooperation there is, is that happening again now? Look, the, the cooperation benefits them as much as Israel, maybe m- much more, uh, because these terrorists and these guys are not supportive of the PA. They hate the PA. They want to get rid of them. And the PA people are not willing to take on any of their responsibilities. It's their responsibility as the, uh, as the responsible power in charge to root out terrorism and to go after people who are building factories, bombs, and they know where all of this is. It's not like, you know, it's a secret to them. So it's their responsibility, and they're, they're not exercising it. And I can tell you that even while they were making the announcement that there is severing Abbasid, severing all cooperation coordination, they were cooperating and coordinating with uh, Israel and getting information, sharing the stuff. Uh, again, because it's, it's in their interest, it's their security, but they weren't willing to challenge because they, uh, you know, they're very happy, and many other groups are very happy for Israel to do the dirty work for, for the rest because they're not willing to take responsibility. And uh, this operation, of course, did not in any way uh, cease the terror activities of the enemy. We see what happened in Kedumim. We see what happened in Tel Aviv this week. I, I know that we emphasize the fact that, uh, thank God, Israeli intelligence, the army, police, security, etc., do such an amazing job at uh, squelching these uh, terror attempts. But uh, some obviously are successful, at least from the point of view of the enemy. And um, I, I guess it's, I, I have to assume, just based on recent activities, that it's unrelated to the operation in Janine, correct? I'm sorry. I'd have, to, ass- I'd have to assume because of the way the enemy has been uh, behaving recently, the, the operation in Janine was irrelevant. They were still going ahead with these terror attacks in Tel Aviv, Kidumim, etc., whether there was an operation in Janine or not. Yes, but you can also say that maybe these are people who operated while they have connections to terrorist entities, not at the instruction of, but always after an incident, after an exchange, even the larger exchange, let's say with Gaza, they always do something after which to show that they're still alive and still capable of carrying out terrorist attacks or individuals who seek martyrdom, mostly because you got paid a slay and, um, well, for ideological and other reasons, but they get paid a slay, meaning that they're going to, their families will be taken care of. If they're caught, they will be taken care of for the rest of their lives by the Palestinian Authority. Something so outrageous and egregious, and we talk about it a hundred times, and yet, and and have tried to get, and U.S. others have taken steps, and it doesn't matter because the PA doesn't care about the people, and so you can have people who go out. The one who killed us, his cousin, engaged in a terrorist attack before. 
you know, they they are indoctrinated. They they look for it as martyrdom status. They they uh, and you know, it's heroic to take a car and drive into people on a street in Tel Aviv. And the media says a man drove a car, ran the car. I heard this. A man drove in. Not that he was a Palestinian. Not that he conducted an act of terror on the streets. And unfortunately, I've heard too much in the American media over this week, also distorting and downplaying what the reality is on the ground, what Israel went in to root out. I mean, can you imagine if we had in Canada, Mexico, you know, uh, a, a terrorist entities and the government's not doing anything, that we wouldn't go in there and take the action necessary? Nobody would put up with this. Nobody is putting up with it. And the price is, is very high. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, you were in Israel. You were just in Israel. Um, can you explain what's going on in the halls of the Knesset that have ramped up and escalated these judicial reform rallies to the point they've gotten to this week? Honestly, no. <laughs> I don't understand it. And uh, I frankly spent very little time on it. There are too many other issues. I met with most of the leadership in the Knesset and the government, and, but, and uh, also attended the July 4th event, the last event of Ambassador Nides, who is leaving this week uh, from, uh, from Israel, um, but had um, multiple opportunities to, to speak to people. Frankly, I don't get into the issue because I don't understand all the nuances. It's still the dominant issue. Yeah, but I was it's just curious really- why it, it ignited a fire under everybody this week. I mean, the rallies and demonstrations, which are so hard to watch, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was that happened because this week. Because it's a response. Every time the government says we're going to come up with a new man, a new policy or a new aspect of it or diminish it, and they cut it back a lot. I mean, the prime minister, you know, took away what was seen as the most controversial parts, and it doesn't help because... The opposition sees this as tremendous leverage. It sees it as an opportunity. They won't let this issue die because it's what has rallied support in the polls uh, for them. And the every time there is something that relates to it, decisions that come up, etc., they will they will rally uh, their people against it. And the you know after I think 27 weeks of this, nobody predicted it would go this long. And the size would be able to be sustained, let's see, over the summer with the vacations and everything, if, if it uh, still remains that. But certainly it's, um, it, it is something that uh, people talk about. Obviously, Janine took precedence during, during the few days. But uh, it's become a rallying call, and it has exposed the divisions within Israeli society, which I hope will be constructively addressed. Uh, there are some positive backlashes, especially regarding uh, some of the excesses against the Haredi communities, for instance, that people are now reaching out, high-tech others, to look at how they can help employment and and work with the communities. So I I hope some good will come of it. But right now, it projects, uh, for one thing, an image of Israel's democracy, but on the other hand, is perceived by others as a sign of instability and weakness on the part of, of the infrastructure in Israel. The last time this happened, when it got to a really high, you know, a boiling point area, 
uh, they figured out a way in the Knesset to delay everything. Do you assume? Do you assume it's going to be the same tactic? It'll all be del- if, or, or, unless, as you just described, Netanyahu is ready to just you know accept I don't know ten percent of the whole deal, and uh, hopefully that'll calm everybody down. Otherwise, they're going to have to delay it again in order to just postpone these types of activities. Well, he, he, remember, it's not he alone. He's got uh, people who are very devoted to this. Yair Levin, uh, who are you know. Uh, insistent on, on moving ahead and don't want to see war done, but, but at least to move ahead. And if they give them something, then, and, and he could enact it, but he's trying to be constructive in the sense of not forcing through something that will then just rile people more, become more of a rallying point and uh, more divisive. Uh, so he, it is the opposition that refuses to sit and negotiate uh, for the large part with, uh, with the government people. You remember they had the talks in the president's house it was they who walked away from it. And uh, Ron Dermer, certainly an experienced and open guy that they were meeting with, and some of them even said positive things about him, but they walked away from that and from, from those talks. So they see the political advantage in keeping this going. Uh, and certainly, you know, Benny Gantz has emerged as the number one party. The opposition would have uh, more votes than, than the coalition today has. So we have to see how it settles down. But once you politicize issues in Israel and elsewhere, um, you see it on on comparable issues with our Supreme Court and the reactions to some of the rulings, uh, people will will always exploit it. And I think it's very unfortunate because of the damage it does to Israel's image. I think that the way they started out this this effort was wrong. I think they've tried now to correct it in hindsight but that there wasn't a consultation. They, they, they just came bold, try to bulldoze this through. But the prime minister has a hard time. He has a, the, the difficult partners. He has a, the, you know, a small margin, uh, enough to get things through if he wanted to, but he's, he's trying not to ram things through uh, and to create further, further fissures. Latest poll actually has him ahead of Gantz, I assume because of this. Uh, after Janine. Yeah, after Janine. Yeah. I didn't realize that the coalitions, the blocks, would actually be in favor of Gantz now over Netanyahu's block. That's that's quite significant, frankly. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's yeah, significant, and that's what I'm referring to. Is that you got to look at what will who will determine the outcome of the next Knesset, right? And that, obviously, it's the people. But the political blocks and alliances and alignments are very vital in Israeli politics because of the smaller parties and the bigger parties, and who would get in, who would not get in. It's shifting all the time. Who gets across the four-vote minimum for for uh, be part of the next Knesset uh, to be in the elections for the next Knesset? Right. And major parties are not. The Labor Party doesn't make it, for instance. Very interesting. Um, all right. Well, I don't. I don't know how much time we'll have for this. If we have to continue next week. We will. But uh, we we didn't have an opportunity to speak last week, and we certainly could have used your expertise to to answer the question that was on everybody's mind one week ago, and that is, was there a coup against Vladimir Putin or was there not a coup attempt against Vladimir Putin? So, you know, first of all, you can't tell in Russia today what is true, what is not true. There are a lot of questionable actions, you know, when they were within striking distance of Moscow, why did they meet no resistance on the way the Wagner group? Why supposedly the head of the Wagner group is back in Moscow now and not in Belarus, supposedly? I mean, again, you know, there are sightings and things which uh, people cite. 
but uh, it's clearly reflective and it's, it did a lot of damage within the, the military. It uh, led to the dismissal of people, some quietly, some more openly. Uh, did it rally the people behind Putin, which is why he may have welcomed this, uh, perhaps somewhat, but the, uh, the divisions in, in, in within Russia over the war, the cost of the war, you know, the wisdom of it is very great. People generally are patriotic and supporting and public support is what's manifest in the media. Critics are being silenced. But the, the true nature of the Wagner group, you remember, which was formed a, a long time ago, I think, to, for the war in Chechnya uh, and goes back to them and they, to, to, uh, for years ago and have played a continuing role in Africa in other places where they uh, fulfilled the missions of Russia without using Russian troops, per se. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have likened them to very uh, bad precedents in, in the past, uh, and that, uh, even saying making neo-Nazi comparisons and stuff, though I don't know that there's a particular basis for it, but certainly their views are extreme, their methods are very dangerous, and, they, and, and it gave him excusability to say that there wasn't, you know, Russian forces. It was this Wagner group, but clearly they were operating and were funded and funded well. They got paid much more than Russian troops, uh, for instance, got paid. Now we'll see whether these soldiers will really integrate at lower pay scales without the freedom of movement and the um, status that they had before as part of the Wagner group. So is Putin weaker than he was two weeks ago? He's certainly not stronger, and he, uh, to my mind, uh, weaker in the sense that he's not threatened by the Wagner group carrying a coup if there was any real uh, anything real behind that, and the reports about a coup, attempted coup. Uh, but he himself has been exposed, I think, continuously because of the the, the uh, setbacks in Ukraine. It was expected to be a short war, a quick capture. It is not. They've taken heavy losses. Uh, I think people are not aware of how heavy the losses Russian troops have experienced in, in the war in Ukraine. Uh, the damage and devastation that it's creating for both is, is astonishing. You know, the first days, uh, the Ukrainians captured uh, huge numbers of armored vehicles, tanks, and other things that the Russian soldiers just left behind. There's no real incentive for them to fight. And he's recruiting more and more people there. Criminals are being taken out of jails, getting two weeks training, and sent to the front. Uh, and, you know, that's a sign of, of somewhat of desperation in being able to recruit people to fight there and to be uh, cannon fodder in many cases. Ukrainians have fought violently. The question is how long they can keep it up. How long will the West continue to pour all of this money and support into Ukraine? Uh, can Russia outlast it? Now, the Russian alliance with Iran is growing constantly, and the Iran-China-Russia coalescence is something of concern. You know, Iran was admitted into the Shanghai Co Cooperation Council, uh, which is uh, another blow. This is um, we, we see the countries also applying to become part of BRICS. The fact that UAE pull out of the naval alliance and join an Iranian-backed one in the northern Persian Gulf has to do more with America than any of the things going on in the region. And it's a message that they lack the confidence that America will be there. And when uh, ships were sieged 
uh, by the Iranians in the Persian Gulf in, uh, in, um, near uh, the UAE. And America didn't respond to the first instances. They said, what, what is our purpose of being in a coalition if we can't defend our own ships? So <laughs> everything, all of these are interlocking pieces, and you can't look in isolation at one thing and not look at the totality. So China's increasing role, Iran's economic conditions improving for the leadership. The economic conditions in the country are horrific. The, their currency is worthless. We have them in a difficult position, but the, they're, they're exporting a million barrels a day. They're looking to get up to two. They're exporting uh, Russian oil. The money goes to the Ayatollah, to the IGC, to the military forces and not to the people. There are still a lot of opportunities within the country. Demonstrations are still continuing. They don't get coverage. It's not on the scale right. before, but women go without the hijab. Everything is interrelated. You know, just back one one last point on this Russian thing. For those who believe it's important for the United States to defend those who are attacked by Russia, because obviously that's its own you know discussion about whether we should be involved at all. But for those who do believe so, this investment, this financial investment is looking better and better. <laughs> I mean, I know it's another billion dollars going there, but the, the chances, the odds, I don't know what the odds makers are saying, but the odds of there actually being a relative Ukrainian victory here continues to improve. Well, the Ukrainians have a victory, can claim victory because they, they have recaptured the territory, but the fact that they withstood now for a year, the, the onslaught and the, uh, you know, the Europeans and others particularly get the message that this is about the future of Europe, that if one country falls, if Ukraine falls, the problem is it goes back to Crimea when we allowed the Russians just to march into Crimea, no resistance, no actions taken. Right. And why shouldn't Putin have read it as a permit for him to do it further? I think also the idea of putting missiles in Ukraine, you know, you have to think of the provocation, how the other side sees it. Uh, but the commitment, I think, is there to to want to keep Russia from taking Ukraine or taking, they don't want the whole country. They're going to take these, the Donbass and, and expand their role in other areas. Uh, and the Ukrainians can fight, but the, the, the uh, danger to them and the uh, odds that they're facing are great because he can mobilize troops and move them around. It will be inside Russia as the resistance to this grows uh, that we will see the difference. Also, the cutoff of certain economic things. And now they're talking about cutting, not allowing and renewing the grain shipments from Ukraine, which are really vital for Africa, the Middle East, for many regions, and will force up prices here as well because of the shortages that this will create as we saw in the early days of the war. And it's, to me, it's a humanitarian issue, and there the UN doesn't seem to have much to say, but should be condemning this and, and the countries mobilizing against this uh, cutoff of food for, for many in Africa will mean starvation. And I think, we, you know, we have to look at all these issues, see what, what can be leveraged, how you can use this, and especially what is being done inside Russia to mobilize opposition to the government's decisions. Right. Uh, well, thank you for your analysis. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. I'm willing to look forward to it. Malcolm Holmine is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Boy, lots going on, folks. Lots going on, to say the least. <laughs> JM in the AM on a Friday morning hour of Shabbos, candlelighting at 8.09. It's the first of the three weeks Shabbatot. Uh, we are aligned with Israel in terms of the partios, which means that we are now both in Israel and the diaspora reading 
Parshas Pinchas, thank you that, uh, or I should say rather, uh, something that makes me very thankful uh, that, that, <laughs> that we're now aligned after the big deal I've made again about that whole situation. Um, okay, so candle lighting is at 8.09. Those of you who are uh, starting Shabbos early, make sure you know when things start where you are. And of course, if you're in a different city than New York or the New York area, make sure you know when things start where you are on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. And we say, good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Achim. Good morning, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of bringing Parshas Pinchas. Parshas Pinchas, according to the Chinuch, contains six mitzvos and, interestingly, positive mitzvos. These mitzvos are not only the mitzvah of Nachala, of Yerusha, but pertinent to the time in which we are. Unfortunately, once again, in the three weeks between Shabbat Shabbatamuz, yesterday, and Tisha B'Av, a time which is a most difficult time for Klai Yisrael, and most difficult for us because we have to get into the proper framework, and this proper framework is very, very difficult because we're very established. What's wrong? What are we, what are we missing? And the answer is we're missing the mitzvos from this week's parasha, the mitzvah of the Korban Tomid that was unfortunately taken away from us on Shavuot Sabatamus. We don't have the Korbanos. We don't have the Korban Musaf of Shabbos, our of Musaf. If we would only pause before and say, what are we davening for? We're davening for the return of the Beis Migdash. Too many of us think that Musaf is the preparation for the Kiddush. We have no idea. We don't make the simple connection. And the Korban Musaf of Rosh Chodesh, and the Musaf of Chagashavuos, and the mitzvah of Tukiyas Shofar on Rosh Hashanah, these mitzvahs are found. And I believe that regarding the Karbonos, the fact that we have the during the quote three weeks is there for that purpose to help us focus. Now, I'd like to talk this morning about the Binos Tzlavchad. Binos Tzlavchad are coming and they are asking for Nachala, inheritance in Eretz Yisrael. Now, the rabbis make, quote, a big deal of this. And Rashi himself tells us, and this is found in this week's parsha, Perichof Vav, chapter 26, Puzzle 64, after the Torah provides for us the second counting, which is done in the Book of Bamidbar, which is called in English Numbers, why the book begins with the counting of B'nai Yisrael in the second year, when they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael, and talks about the counting in the 40th year, and the Nitziv points out in his introduction to Sefer Bamidbar, the first counting was B'nai Yisrael while they were on a Lamala Minateva, supernatural level, 
and the second counting was as they're about to go into the more natural quote life of Eretz Yisrael. So on the Pasuk 64, ish, talking about the counting of the men, but there were not any women, says Rashi Avlah Noshim, regarding the women, lo The decree of the Maraglim of dying in the desert did not apply to the women. Why, says Rashi, the Fishain Hoyu Machavavos because they showed special love for the land of Israel. Now, interesting that the daughters of Slavchad are not looked upon as exceptions to a rule, but they are the representatives of the women. How so, says Rashi, Hoanoshim Omrim The men said, let's go back to Egypt. Now, when is this? This is right after the sin of the Miraglim, again, in the first year. In the first year, Bnei Yisrael are ready to go back to Egypt. Vanoshim Omros, and the women said, No, Tinolonu Achuza, give us an inheritance. Now, one would think in reading Parshas Pinchas, because the Parsha of Nachala, of inheritance, and because the Parsha of the daughters of Slavchat coming to Moshe, right? And Elazar uh, Kohen, right? This is before we go into Eretz Yisrael. No, no, says the Yalkut Shimoni. They come to Moshe right after the Maraglim, right after the decree that they know Bnei Yisrael are going to be 40 years in the desert, but give us inheritance. They ask the question immediately in Eretz Yisrael. Now, what were they asking for? The, they knew, and the Torah tells us, if there are no sons, daughters inherit. Good. The next thing was, their father, Slavchad, was a Bechor to his father. So the question is, are they getting only a chilek of their father, or are they getting double, namely, of the chilek of Slavchad and his brothers? The Torah answers and says, Hashem says, give them a double portion. Why? Now this is such a beautiful idea. A child, a Bechor, gets a double portion of their father if it is Matsui, if he's Muchzak. What does that mean? If whatever the father has at the time of his passing, if father buys, let's say, a lottery ticket, and the he buys a ticket before he dies, and the lottery is drawn after he dies, and the father, father had the winning ticket, the son does not get Pishnayim on that part of the inheritance, because he didn't have it at the time of passing. Well, Slavchad never went into Eretz Yisrael. Chavetz never went into Eretz Yisrael. But the answer so beautifully is, as explained in the Gemara Baba Basra, in Perakesh Nochlin, an amazing concept. When Hashem gave Eretz Yisrael to Abraham, did He give it to him, meaning you're going to get it when Yeshua comes in with Bnei Yisrael? 
or you're going to get it mamish now. And it's therefore passed down from Abram to Yitzchak and Yitzchak to Yaakov and Chefetz to Tzlavchat. So Tzlavchat had his part in Eretz Yisrael already. Wow. And therefore the daughters got double. Now why is that over here? It's over here because we're about to go into Eretz Yisrael. But when did the daughters say to Yomano Achuza? They said it early on, showing that they had chilek, that they had love, mechavavos esa'oretz. And the Nitziv goes on to say, wait a minute, from which tribe are these girls? These girls are coming from Menashe. Okay, as Rashi points out, just as Yosef was mechabeb the oretz, so to his great-great-great-granddaughters. However, says in Nitziv, how do you know the mechabeb the oretz? Half of Menashe is staying on the Ebra Yardane, on the western side. They're saying, no, we don't want to be here. We want to go dafka to Eretz Yisrael. So the daughters of Tzlovchot, clearly, the Torah is teaching us, are Mechabib and Eretz. What's special about Eretz Yisrael? So for that, go, my friends, to the end of Parshas Acharimos. And there the Ramban teaches very, very powerfully that HaKadosh <clears throat> Baruch gave to each and every country a um, sar, a prince, a angel, a guardian angel that takes care of that country, except for one country in the world, and that is Eretz Yisrael, that Hashem says, I, instead of any angel, I am the one who is in charge of this land, and therefore He endowed and gave to Eretz Yisrael a greater sense of um, spirituality, okay? And therefore, the idea is that the Pesach says, the Yisem Li Segula, right before the Aseris Hadibros, in chapter 19 in Shmos, Pesach 5, you shall be for me special, Mikol Amim Kili Kol Oretz, the whole land is mine, but specifically, this part of the world is mine for you. Very, very powerful concept. Now, this idea is that the land of Eretz Yisrael has greater Kedusha, and therefore it is most appropriate for the performance of mitzvot, as the Ramban writes in Parshas Ekev. <clears throat> that the idea is Asher Kitshonu B'mitzvosav Kedusha is associated with mitzvos and the Kedusha stems from Eretz Yisrael and therefore says the Ramban the Ikar primary place for the performance of mitzvos is in Eretz Yisrael <clears throat> Let's continue this idea with a very powerful one. The Gemara teaches us in the seventh parak of Brachos, Moshe Rabbeinu instituted the first bracha of Birkas HaMozon when the man came down in the Midbar. Bracha to Hashem, Hazon Eshako. God nourishes, provides food for all. Second bracha was composed by 
Yehoshua, when he brought the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. And how does the bracha begin? Thank you, Hashem. That you have bequeathed to our forefathers Eretz Chemda Tova Ruchova, a land of Chemda. And the Shibole Haleket writes, Why does Yahushua use the term Eretz Chemda? Because he saw how much Moshe Rabbeinu was homemade the Eretz. Moshe Rabbeinu had such a pining for Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov, Yaakov, don't bury me in the land of Israel. And so, this is a land of Chemda, which means, to begin with, a land that uh, it was most desirable. But now, interestingly, the term Chemda in regard to Eretz Yisrael is not found in the Torah. It is found, however, in Yirmiyahu, chapter 3, verse 19. When Yirmiyahu was chastising the Jewish people and saying, how could you go away from Hashem? Look what Hashem has done for you. Take a look. God said, what? How can I uh, place you among the other nations of the world, but rather, what did I do for you? Whoa, that's where it's found. 319. Do me a favor. Bring to the table tonight the commentaries on Yirmiyahu, chapter 3, verse 19, and take a look in the Mitsudas David, and see how he interprets the words Eretz Chemda. Listen to what he says so powerfully. Okay? Now, Eretz Chemdo, Nachalo Mefu Eretz, a most special inheritance, Lakol, Lachol, Tzvaos Hagoyim. What does that mean? It is something that they are amazed at. Kikulam, all the nations of the world, Mishtokakim. They have great desire, Umis Avim Law. Why do they all? Want Eretz Yisrael, umefa'arum osa, they praise it. Alkihi mokom hashra'az hashchino. There's something that has, Eretz Yisrael has, that no other country in the world has, has greater degree of, yes, Uncle Moshe is right. Where's God? Up, up, down, down, here, there, and everywhere. That's correct. But there's a greater hashra'az hashchino, and this is contained in the word chemdo. It is the place, Lira is Hashem, to have fear, greater recognition, greater relationship with Hashem, Lios Mala, to become on the level of nothing less than angels. And proof to this Mitsudas David in Yirmiyahu 319. Take a look in chapter 3, describing Chava. Looking at the tree, Vatera Isha, chapter three, verse six, Kitovu Eitzlamacho. The rabbis tell us that literally she took from the bark the ma'achol for eating. he It was attractive. V'nechmad. There it is. Chemda. That it was desirable for wisdom. That tova 
explained the rabbis, and the rabbi explained Tzatzal. In the Torah, Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz Chemda, coming from Mitzrayim, coming from the desert. Wow, look at the physical nature of this special land. But now that they're in Eretz Yisrael, says the Navi, Yirmiyahu, this is an Eretz Chemda. When we bench, we should pause in that second bracha. No Stop. Ask yourself, are you pining for Eretz Yisrael? Whatever your excuse for not going on Aliyah now, if it's a good excuse, not such good excuse. Okay, but at least have the Chemda. And finally, I close with the Gemara in Ksubos. Pandaf Ayin Hei Amid Aleph. And he quotes there the Pasuk from Tehillim Pei Zayin. And what does the Pasuk say? It says so powerfully Ish Ish Hashem Yurad Bo. Ksubos Ayin Hei. Tilim Pezayin. Uvetzion Yoyomer Ish Ish Yulad Bo. Now what's this Ish Ish? One who was born, and actually you are an Israeli by birth, born in Israel. If you weren't born and you don't yet live there, at least be that Ish who's mitzapeh. You're yearning, you're pining. I can't wait. I can't wait to visit. I can't wait to go and live. This is especially, especially during these three weeks, that we should have this pining for Eretz Yisrael. Hashem, we should all be zocher to go and visit as often as possible, to be mochazek them, and please God for that special privilege of becoming that Ish that lives there, because that's where the future destiny of our people lie. Shabbat Shalom to all. In a house so far from home, we're surrounded yet so alone. When I fall, you help me rise. In a room full of darkness, you are my light. Still there a house that once stood 
Can't you see we're begging for you? Just come back, we'll rebuild the new. Ay, 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 ubne, 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 ay, sa, bikarai, be, amenu. with the uh, folks from Waterbury with that uh, selection, Uvene. Nice job, I must say. Acapella version, of course, and this is the three weeks format at JM in the A. My name is Malcolm Siegel. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with candle lighting at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. Hope your fast went well yesterday. Hope you're ready for the first Shabbos of the three Shabbatot of the three weeks. We're deep into our three weeks format, which will continue, of course, through the weekend. And uh, we're back here Monday morning with JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Malcolm Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Uh, if you missed our weekly update, Malcolm Homeline, the um, archive will be up soon. You'll be able to check it out at MalcolmSingle.com and, of course, on the NSN app. Interesting conversation, what has been a very interesting week, and we remember those victims of terror that have been taken from us by the enemy. 
a very, very challenging week, to say the least. More coming up Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. You're listening to JM in the AM. Say, 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 say
Yom Shabasa and done by Bita Chom. Before that, Yehuda Solomon with Vishamru here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys. Candlelighting in New York, 809. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Thanks for tuning in to JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos from JM in the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Shabbos Cause all your work is done 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. We're the listeners sponsored digital radio around the world of web and alchemsegal.com and the alchemsegal network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and a great week here at JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in Monday when we continue with our three weeks format on this program. Meanwhile, amazing programming all through the weekend. JM Sunday with Matis. Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler. Uh, and of course, today, our Arab Shabbos music mix all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Have a fabulous Friday, a wonderful Shabbos, a great weekend. Till next week, Nahum Seagull reminding you remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.